0: Please remain standing with me in this morning's gospel lesson from John chapter 6. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I assure you that you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. God has confirmed him as his agent to give life. They asked, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? Jesus replied, this is what God requires, that you believe in him who God sent. They asked, what miraculous sign will you do that we can see and believe you? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus told them, I assure you, it wasn't Moses who gave the bread from heaven to you, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread all the time. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, I am grateful for the chance to welcome my friend and colleague, Shao Chen Capps, to Highlands Pulpit for the beginning of our Global Missions Month. Shao Chen serves as the president of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Foundation. But before moving into this role last year, she spent more than 20 years of her career in the nonprofit and social work fields. Prior to moving to Atlanta, Georgia in 2018, where her husband, Paul, serves as a pastor, Shao Chin led a nonprofit in Beaufort, South Carolina that provides safety and healing for victims of child abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assault. She did tremendous work there. Shao Chin is a graduate of Baylor University, Sikkim Bears and of the Carver School of Social Work that was here in Louisville. And several of you may remember Shao Chin from her time at Crescent Hill Baptist Church some years ago. She has two wonderful daughters, Phoebe and Lydia. But in addition to some of the things her resume shares about her, I wanted you to know what folks at Highland have told me about Shao Chin. That she is a powerful leader, one who has given her life to advocacy for others. Anita Roper said, I would describe Shao Chen as one who leads by example. She's an advocate for the marginalized and one who loves generously. Patty Martin said, Shao Chin is caring. She plants seeds of love everywhere she goes and always extends a warm welcome to others. And so, may we extend a warm welcome to her as she comes to Highland's pulpit today.
1: Thank you, Mary Alice, for those very kind words. And um, good morning, Highland Baptists. It's so good to be with you all today. First and foremost, I want to thank all of you uh, for your very warm hospitality. When I received um, the email from Mary Alice inviting me here, I was super excited. It's so nice to be back in Louisville. This is where I graduated from seminary, got married, bought our first home, was sworn in as a U.S. citizen, started my social work career, and had our first daughter, Phoebe. We were active members of Crescent Hill Baptist Church, the faith community who nurtured us, and where we made lifelong friendships. Needless to say, I have many friends who attend Highland Baptist and know of you to be a loving, generous, and welcoming community. Your reputation precedes you. My dear friend, who is also a CBF field personnel, Karen Zimmerman, sends her greetings and expresses her thanks to you for your generosity in supporting her work in Morocco. Your pastor, Mary Alice, is also a star in the CBF world. All this to say, I am humbled and honored to be invited into this beautiful space to worship with you today. I was thrilled when I found out that the gospel passage from the lectionary for today is from the Gospel of John. Uh, John was the very first book I read when I was exploring the Christian faith as a teenager growing up halfway across the world in Singapore. John brought to life for me the Jesus who ate with sinners and showed compassion to those forsaken by society. I was drawn toward this good news and made a decision as a 16-year-old to commit my life to following this Jesus we read about today. When Jesus was in Galilee, uh, he always seemed to have people following him around. He had compassion for them, uh, but he also seemed pretty irritated by them at times. And this is one of those times. After a miraculous feeding, his disciples had gone ahead of him across the lake. What happens next sets up our passage for today nicely. Jesus walks on the water and meets them about four miles out getting in the boat and onto to but not before declaring to the scared disciples, it is I. In the Old Testament, only God is said to walk on the waves, and here is Jesus doing that. And the phrase, it is I, is a less awkward English greeting than I am, uh, which is more accurately what Jesus said when he walked up to them. And so even after walking across the lake, the people find him. And when they ask, Rabbi, when did you get here? He gives them way more than just an answer to that question. You see, John wants his audience to see the breadcrumbs of how he starts his gospel. And he is getting us ready for the first full I am statement. But before we get there, we also need to remember that after the sign Jesus provided of the miraculous feeding, the people wanted to make him king. In John 6, 14 through 15, it reads, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Since these were mostly the same people that had just been literally fed, and since they wanted to make him king, Jesus wanted to do two things that still convict us today. He wants to make his identity known, and he wants to expose our expectations of his identity. Everyone loves a free lunch, right? But there is also the phrase, there is no such thing as a free lunch, And in some ways, Jesus is saying both these things. Just as food spoils, so do these bodily vessels. So what are we working for? Or maybe the better question is, what are we hoping for? What are our expectations? Those people were hoping for another Moses, a leader that would provide an exodus from Roman oppression. They had already gotten the manna. Now they wanted it every day. Similarly, a poor theology from the Western faith tradition that many today still believe suggests that once we believe in Jesus, which is definitely what he wants, we no longer need to work for eternity, but just live with the expectation that Jesus will deliver the hope we want him to give us. We want our free lunch, and we want it for eternity. So Jesus does more than just answer their question about when he got to Carpenham. Jesus said to them, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father had placed his seal of approval. The Jewish work ethic called for works of righteousness. And so naturally, that's the clarification they seek. What kind of works does God require? But in Jesus' response, we see that the work is one that simply requires faith. Faith urges us into the work of eternity that Jesus brings because Jesus gives it to us. But the people still want more signs from Jesus. They need more proof. And even when Jesus essentially repeats the metaphor in a different way, saying that the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world— the people still can't quite make the connection. What we bring to Jesus is faith in him. He is the sign of eternity for which we work. But the people were still working with what they knew and understood, and it was small, limited to loaves, fishes, and crowns. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. I can imagine Jesus kind of raising his voice when he responds, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It doesn't get any clearer, right? Jesus is no longer talking in metaphors. Jesus is the bread. Jesus always was the bread. Jesus was, is, and will be the bread. In the beginning was the bread of life, and in the end will be the bread of life. In Jesus, we have life now, and we will have life through him. Today, we will observe the Last Supper together. When Jesus surrounded himself with his disciples that night, he reiterated this truth. In his body is our future life. The bread and the cup come from him and are given to us. What we eat and drink is physical. Our bodies matter. Jesus' body was moving towards the cross. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He wants us to see him for who he truly is so that we may have faith in him and be transformed towards the justice he brings in our discipleship. So there are essentially three lessons here. The first is about identity. When we come to Jesus, we must give up our expectations of what we think our work should be about. Our so-called American or Protestant or even maybe more accurately, white Western work ethic is not the work that Jesus calls us to. Nor is Jesus the prosperity slot machine that rewards works with more works. When Jesus said, I am, and got into that boat, the disciples got a preview of something that had never been. God incarnate. His name is Jesus. He is the beginning and end. He is life itself. So that leads us to the second lesson. This bread requires faith for it to satisfy our relationship with God. And faith moves us into doing the will of God through Jesus, not sitting back and waiting for God to work, but participating with God in the work by faith in Jesus Later on in this passage, one of the key points he repeats is this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Does that ring a familiar tone? Perhaps it's because a few chapters earlier, right after the most quoted verse in the Bible, John 3:16, John 3:17 says, "For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him." The faith we place in Jesus now is faith in Jesus to raise us up as he was raised. That's the will of God, that all may know life and that none be condemned. His resurrection becomes our resurrection, and by faith in Jesus, we practice the will of God with our lives. And practice leads us to the final lesson, transformation. Later in this same chapter, Jesus is trying to explain everything he has said to his disciples, and he says in verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. It seems an odd thing to say when Jesus is so concerned with the actual bodies of all who he encounters, healing them with his word and touch, feeding people real food because they are really hungry, grieving with people uh, when they experience the death of loved ones, and doing all this through his disciples by agency as well. And so what does he mean when he says the flesh counts for nothing? I think it means that when we think about the life Jesus brings now, but also the always bread he is and also brings, it comes into focus. His incarnation is what he wants for us too. To join him in his mission of offering eternal life to all people by giving of his very life in death on the cross, yes, but also in his resurrection, his ascension, and his gift of the Holy Spirit. As his body, the church, we have this gift of nourishment that gives life to share with all people everywhere to continue the work of transformation that he modeled. A few years back, when our youngest daughter Lydia was about 10 years old, we took on renovating our kitchen. And of course, you know, that meant a couple of months of um, maybe more of not having a kitchen to prepare our meals. Uh, So we had a makeshift kitchen on our front porch that limited the kind of meals we could prepare. One morning at breakfast, she sat down, let out a long sigh, and said, kitchen is life. (laughs) She missed having a kitchen because she missed the good food that we prepared, but she was also honoring how much life happened in that kitchen. Food gives physical nourishment, but when shared with a community and family, we experience pleasure and a fulfillment that goes beyond the physical. We actually stenciled hashtag kitchen is live in our newly renovated kitchen as a reminder to not take for granted the life that happens in that kitchen and around the table. Around the table of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, we are focused on the three-pronged commitment to global missions. The first is cultivating beloved community. We cultivate communities of reconciliation and hospitality that serve as signs, instruments, and foretastes of the kingdom of God. It is incarnational ministry that reveals a shared table around which we share not only physical bread that offers temporary liberation from hunger, but a bread of life that leads to justice and mercy. This happens when we practice our faith in the bread of life. It's a natural outpouring of the hope Jesus brings. Second, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. We bear witness to the gospel through words that invite faith in Jesus and actions that embody the way of Jesus. When we accept the identity of Jesus as He offers it, we become living witnesses of Him. We put aside our own expectations of what we think we need or what we think others need. Jesus meets us where we are and then doesn't leave us there calling us into what it looks like to do the work of God, which, as Jesus said, is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Third, seeking transformational development. We seek to transform systems that suppress the capacity of individuals and communities in order to recognize, claim, and celebrate the God-given gifts of all people and places. When we believe in the bread of life, we begin to be transformed as agents of Jesus, the author of justice. When we put our faith in Jesus, we see others as Jesus sees us, and that compassion drives us into the places where real bread models the time when there was no hunger and where there will be no hunger. Jesus compels us with the hope of this world restored and transformed. Karen Alford, one of CBF's field personnel, works in Togo, Africa, where she runs a clinic. She recently told a story about her friend Marie, who visited a clinic to receive treatment for breast cancer. Through time, the two formed a strong bond of friendship. Unfortunately, Marie's condition worsened, and she became too weak to make her way to the clinic So Karen would travel uh, more than 40 minutes one way over poorly constructed roads to visit Marie regularly, offering her care and her presence. The evening when Marie was dying, what she wanted most was to spend her last hours with Karen. So her sister put her on the back of their motorcycle and took Marie to Karen's clinic. Karen was right by Marie's side, making her as comfortable as she knew how and praying with her as Marie took her last breath. As the last gift of friendship, Karen returned Marie's physical body to her home village, making the last journey with her friend until the day Jesus returns. The offering for global missions allows for field personnel like Karen to embody the good news the bread of life that gives imperishable nourishment. Your gift to the offering for global missions is a work of hope, a work of faith in the identity of Jesus to transform this world. When you give, you bear witness to Jesus even in the most difficult places and circumstances possible. Marie's faith even in suffering and Karen's unwavering friendship to Marie's family and village even in her death was a model of beloved community. So as we gather around this table today, we gather because Jesus is at its center. In our weakness, Jesus offers nourishment to fill you, to fill us with the fullness of God. And when we receive the bread of life, will our faith in Christ compel us to boldly and generously share this Always Bread.